Hey there, welcome to the show. Well, you know what? I got an incredible show planned for you today. Um, one of my guests joining me, Bryn Lackey. You've, uh, you've heard her here many, many times and, and I'm so excited. She's gonna be joining me here in the studio. That's right, the new studio out in Burlington, the simple podcast booth that, uh, that we put together, as you know. We started using it uh, last week. Tim Sirianos was part of it and uh, really excited about bringing more and more guests here. So Bryn is joining me, just waiting in the hot seat. And uh, I do want to talk about a couple things before we get going, though. Um, just to give you a heads up, you know, you haven't heard me mention this in a little while. Normally we talk about doing a webinar, but guess what? Because we have our new location, we are now going to be doing the Simple Seminar. It's back and we're going to do a webinar at the same time. So we've opened up our studio. We're going to have people join us live. That's right. If you want to uh, participate, you can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And by the way, the date, yep, coming up, it is Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m. And a lot of things I'm gonna be talking about. It's, it's really not about buying investment real estate right now. We're gonna be talking about how you can exist with increasing mortgage rates. Where's the best place to buy? I know a lot of people are getting a little bit concerned about the market, what's happening in the outer markets, in the GTA. And I am going to talk about the best investment real estate you should be looking at right now. And is investment real estate a good option with increasing rates? Well, you know what? I'm going to give you all the answers. And that is October the 20th. That's a Thursday, 7 p.m. You can either join me live or you can uh, you know, log into the webinar. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out more. But, you know, now I want to be able to bring in my guest. I'm so pleased that she did take the long hike, though, out to Burlington here, because that's where we're located now. And Bryn, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So I'm glad you came. You know, it's uh, we're, we're getting pretty excited about showing off this place. And, uh, you know, just having somebody across from me is getting a lot better, because what used to happen with us all the time was you and I be doing like a Zoom call or something like this. So nice to have you here for the first time. I'm so happy to be here. This is quite the place you have. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. So, so a couple of things that uh, we can talk about, of course, uh, will be the market. We're going to talk about interest rates this week. I do want to talk to you, your perception on what's going on with values. And, you know, we've, uh, we've got a whole hour to kill today, which is great. So having you here is fabulous. So I'm going to start off with, of course, there was an article that, uh, of course, you penned for the Toronto Sun. And again, by the way, you can always catch Bryn's articles there, and she's got some great insight on real estate. But Bryn, the battle between real estate bulls and bears rages on. I love the title because you know you're kind of picking on the uh, the stock market a little with those terms. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, really applying to real estate more and more. I think sort of really entrenched belief systems. We're seeing them play out quite a bit, especially as the market's gone a little funny. Yeah. So, so tell me what you think a bear is in this real estate market. I mean, for the purposes that I'm sort of seeing it as, it's the people who seem to think that the crash is imminent, everybody should hunker down and hide, the market is going to go to sleep, you just wait it out. Um, versus the bulls who seem to think, you know, um, real estate only goes up, this can only ever be a blip. Anything um, external, there's nothing sort of structural that can change that will impact value in any, you know, real, real significant way. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions if you don't mind, because you know, I, I kind of have both hats going on this, on this particular mm. topic. So let's, let's look at a couple of things that happened this week and, and you not get into the bank of Canada rate change, but um, you know, it, it's amazing how instantaneous people think that real estate is worth less as soon as an interest rate goes up. And it, it's almost like that 24 hours, you know, uh, idea. But my question is this, 
the the cost of the brick didn't go go down so your cost of labor didn't go down mm -hmm. the supply didn't you know it's not like we have an overabundance of supply so my, my my problem is and when we talk about bears and bull markets is the perception of how does real estate technically you know drop the next day when we still don't have inventory and everything costs the same to build so given my i have a limited frame of reference because my background is I've spent 11 years selling real estate in central Toronto. So I've seen condo markets really um, fly right up. I've been here witnessing bidding wars and blind bidding really take hold. Um, I think the counterpoint to that, which is when you're looking at bricks and mortar and labor costs and taxes, is we're seeing houses that have had a run up and an appreciation that defied being bound by things like that. You know, we saw 20% you know, appreciation that had nothing to do with, they were the same bricks, they were the same property taxes, they were the same location, they were the same thing there. So I think a lot of that has to do with people's perception of value, buyer's perception of value, the intrinsic um, factors that make something worth something to them. I think we also have um, an investment perspective that people now are willing to dabble. They're willing to, as part of sort of a fulsome retirement strategy, they want to own investment properties. They want to have um, either through forced savings, if that's one mentality, or just banking on appreciation, thinking that, you know, it's it's a good idea to own real estate because no one got poor owning real estate. So I think that those can be some of the sort of contrary narratives to the idea that any of this is just about um, the actual physical costs, the physical structural costs. A lot of it is we're, we're pricing in the value people place on these opportunities now. And I think that that is where if the idea is that suddenly, you know, all the ants are scurrying away, you're seeing the prices fall in, I think in those people where it's wishful thinking too. Like, I don't think it happens overnight, but I think that if people think there's a broader sentiment shift, that there is a broader structural problem with how we finance people engaging in real estate, then everyone drops off. Well, then presumably, I think the belief is among those people who believe it, um, that now, you know, some sanity will prevail. And I think that we have witnessed, I, you know, I've, I've been saying this, especially since COVID, but watching how the market has gone, um, it's not bound by just typical rhythms. It's, there is something about Toronto real estate that is unlike anywhere else with the enthusiasm, with the deep held belief in it, with the fact that we have condos uh, sell in pre-sale like day one, that's unlike anywhere else in the world. So there is something about Toronto that is worth sort of considering what that X factor is. Yeah, you know, good points. And, you know, when I take a look at the big picture, and, and that's kind of when you zoom out a little, you start thinking about things such as, you know, COVID, we start talking about the run up, as you mentioned, because, you know, we, we watch this exponential growth in values. And I think one of the things that we found was people were putting more value on um, ownership or increasing the size of their backyard. So this is why we saw that run up, mm -hmm. you know, quite a run up on the detached or the suburbs, you know, mm. we started seeing those prices go up exponentially and other marketplaces. And I think people were saying, you know, I, I need that, that finished basement, I need the extra space that's going to be required. You know, and these are the, these are the kind of things I think when we take a look at the big picture and, and you touched on it, you know, you get that emotional, you know, attachment to things, people start having a different value proposition. And that's why I always kind of drill it back, you know, because of my background, you know, being being kind of a brick and mortar guy, I try to drill it back and say, okay, so, so I agree the, the run up and, and I don't think there's a real estate professional like yourself that agreed that was the right market to be in. Like a 20% run up is honestly, you, know, you can't, you can't sustain that. But more importantly, it's not good. 
you know, scary to watch. Yeah, it is because, you know, people, people are overpaying at hundreds of thousands of dollars when they should not, like they get themselves into a tough mm-hmm. line. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a great point, but you know, to kind of, to kind of close out the thought though, you know, my, my question for you is this then, you know, you mentioned that Toronto is just one of those, I'm not going to quite call it a unicorn in the real estate market, but it's pretty darn close, but you know, Toronto does have a lot to offer. And in the end, do you think it can sustain itself, even with a bit of a downturn throughout the, the country, the world? Do you think Toronto really has that ability to you know, jump back into value? Well, wouldn't that be a great thing to have certainty on? Like, I would like to think it does. But as we're looking at this, and if you're thinking big picture, like, for instance, I was in London in June. And every time I've ever been sort of to London, I've been to London a number of times in my life. And I've always felt, wow, everything is so expensive here. And I was shocked. My husband and I looked at each other and said, does it seem like prices are not that far off from what we've gotten used to in Toronto? Like there is something about Toronto that has sort of gotten away from itself. And so as much as I like to think that we have the fundamentals, we have immigration, we are a hub in, you know, um, of tech and finance and culture in Canada, um, if immigrants are coming and they can't afford to live here and they can't afford to settle here, how attractive are we? So it's almost like we've gotten so ahead of ourselves. where, yeah, I'd like to think that Toronto can sustain it, but if the things that are going to help us come through this are now like fundamentally inhospitable to the people who, in theory, are going to help this along, it's very hard to just blindly support that idea. I mean, I would like to think so, but I think a lot, we have to really look at the housing issue we have, the rental, in, you know, we have deeply debilitating <laughs> rental housing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to your point, one would hope so, but anyone who says one way or the other definitively right now, it's, it's a bit of optimism. <laughs> you know? one, one way or the other, yeah, because we've got, we've uh, obviously we have the doomsayers that play play the game a little. Um, just one point, and and I only bring it up because it just came out was the fact that Toronto central home prices surged five point nine percent to one point one million in August. So. The only reason why I bring that up is because we've seen downturns in other areas, but it seems like that resiliency that we're talking about in Toronto, you know, there's those people that kind of, they, they, they hit the sidelines and they say, yeah, but we got to buy. And I just see that that's their wants, not mm-hmm. necessarily, or they, they, they combine their wants and needs all in one. Yeah. I mean, I will also say that some of the data we're using to support um, the current state of affairs can be funny. Like there were some very big sales in August that skewed the numbers a bit. So when you're looking at the data that the boards are putting out, and I say this with <laughs> I'm in these boards. The average, um, you know, the averages can be skewed. So sometimes if you go look at the mean price, that's going to be a little more revealing. But I think, um, you know, across the board, and this is something I've talked about throughout COVID, where it is very hard to give advice to people on what they should do because it is subjective. And there are a lot of people who are proceeding from an emotional standpoint. You know, it is biological, humans, um, shelter is a fundamental need. Home is a fundamental, you know, it's not just a concept, it's how we live, it's how we sustain ourselves, it's how we raise our families. So when you're sitting there and people um, feel that housing is getting away from them and home ownership is getting away from them, I would sit there and I would have clients where, just to your point, you're sitting there going, hold on, what are you spending? Don't be spending this money. So I would have clients that I would say, oh, I think we're getting a little to the top, that's nice that the bank wants to give you that, but... Like, do you really want to do that? And then to just have prices appreciate 20%, you know, it it was getting crazy. So I would sit there and say, okay, well, you have a baby coming. And if you're comfortable with this, it really has to come down to you're, you're really biting off a lot here and a lot can change. But anyone saying, you know, 
just close your eyes, buckle up, and just do it. It'll be fine. I think there were a lot of my colleagues who were doing that. Yeah. And I think that now we're in this moment where that sort of blind faith and blind certainty in anything, anything, is not a good thing. I think we always need to be looking very critically and say, hold on, this might be the case. We might have 12 months of month-over-month -month appreciation, but let's zoom out for a sec. Is that sustainable? And if and when that moment comes where it is no longer sustainable and we just can't support it, what happens then? Well, I'll tell you what happens now. We're going to yeah. a quick break. Okay. And uh, when we come back, folks, I've got more with Bryn Lackey. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Bryn Lackey. She is a columnist for the Toronto Sun. She's also a uh, realtor. And uh, you're with... Um, I'm with Chestnut Park. Chestnut Park, yeah. Mm. So I, sorry, it, it was on the tip of my tongue. I don't want to say the wrong name. It was a peanut park. No, just <laughs> so um, So here, here's here's the thing, uh, Bryn, just before the break, you and I were having a really good discussion about, you know, the market, um, bull or bear. And you know, people's perception of the market. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things I think, you know, in the real estate industry, it's, you know, realtors are taught um, that they, they want to educate people. You know, this is, this is one of the functions and actions that I think all realtors have to do is educate people, educate people. But the problem that we had during, you know, the run-up of the real estate was you could educate until you were blue in the face when people got it in their minds that they had to have a house then all caution goes to you know to the wind. But my problem that that we started seeing, and now now we start hearing a little bit, is that some people are actually making that that the assumption that well, my realtor made me overpay. Well, if you're going against you know thirty offers, forty offers, and you're and the realtor said to you, you know, if you want to win, you're going to have to pay this. That's not the realtor telling you pay it. You know, and this this is this is where we're starting to see some you know cracks in the armor, mm -hmm. and we're seeing some reports that some some realtors are being called to task because it's like, well, my realtor told me I had to pay this. Well, yeah, but if the next bid was you know a thousand dollars less, you weren't going to win. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's you know, everyone's thrilled when things are going well, but when things take a little turn, suddenly we get very introspective. And I do think there are a lot of agents um, who would tell people what they needed to pay, which is a huge problem to me. You know, I sit there and when, and I've done a many, many, many offer nights and I've um, been on the receiving end of offer nights. I've, I've had my own listings and I've seen offers roll in and the guidance you're giving your clients, it needs to be the clients with the lead, your job. And this is what I would tell me 12 years ago, I would tell any new agent now is your job is to lay all the information out, ensure that they have the lay of the land enough to like think critically about the stuff in front of them. And if they don't, then you have more work to be doing with them prior to ever putting pen to paper. And if they've watched enough offer nights, they've watched enough houses in neighborhoods they're interested in sell and go for whatever, they are going to have a frame of reference about, you know, how these tend to go. If you're ever telling your client, you need to do 20,000 more if you want to win this house, firstly, I don't know what you need to do to win this house. I'm only as good as you know, our side. You know, we're only as good as the person running the offer night. Um, I would never, ever tell someone, hey, spend this and you will get it. Instead, I, you know, and I think it's a cliche. People make fun of this. But I always just say, it's up to you. It's on you. If you're lying in bed, we don't get this house tonight. And there are some people where literally it was 15, 20 offers before they you know, finally found a place to, you know, jam the Christmas tree. Um, if you're lying in bed and you find out it went for 10,000 more than 
what we have on paper, is that going to haunt you? And if it is, then that's for you two to discuss. Um, and I'm, you know, this would be a yeah, couple yeah, yeah. It's for you two to discuss. I can't speak to what's going to bother you because I have clients where they're like, if it's one penny more than that, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm good. I feel I can sleep. Yeah. And I have other people and you know, where they question it and they second guess themselves. And that's really a personality type. And the tricky part is in Toronto real estate, you have to be, um, there's a level of certainty required to just jump in. And I think there are some people where they're in this world where you need to have a level of certainty, but how on earth can you truly believe it? You know, I think even before things went crazy, the amount that young families were having to spend to get a house in the city within, you know, 40 minute commute and their kids in a school that maybe they had space for and maybe didn't like the conditions were absurd. And I think they were already having to get way more comfortable with um, a mortgage. I saw a funny tweet that someone said, you're not buying a house, you're buying a payment. And that's kind of how it's going because you're just, and the way you get cool with that is you sort of abstract, right? Like, oh, okay, well, it's forced savings. Great. It's appreciation. Great. Um, look at our parents. They bought their house for, you know, X, yeah. Yeah, like $150,000 in 1980, whatever. And now, you know, they're sitting pretty. So I think there's those sort of trajectories you bank on. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, you have to be comfortable with it. And any agent who is making you a promise, they can tell you what's happened. You know, I tell my clients, so here's the risk to us sitting and assuming that this rate hike is going to crash the market. It might not. You know, COVID was supposed to crash the market. I had buy, I had a list <laughs> that, you know, Friday the 13th, I had a listing come out and we thought, oh, wow, like things have been wild leading up to um, the first lockdown. We thought this is going to be a bun fight. Amazing. Uh, where did everyone go? And we had people, I had buyer clients who were sitting there. They were saying, we're going to wait. The market's going to crash. Well, okay, you should do that. You know, you have to feel good about how this is going. Six months later, when things were wild again, it made no sense that, you know, obviously in retrospect, we know that you flood the economy with money and make interest rates sure, essentially affordable. zero, yeah, yeah. Um, essentially negative actually, when you look at inflation, that that's gonna happen. But there were people who sat out and they regretted it. So you don't wanna be the person to say, hey, listen to me, I know all. But there are a lot of my colleagues, I think, who um, speak with certainty because it's a sales job versus I think there are other colleagues who see it more as an advisory position. It's a relationship business. So yeah, I think people feeling like they overpaid and they got sort of nudged along. I think we're going to see a lot more of that because there are a lot of my colleagues who got away with some problematic behavior that no one needed to really be held to account for because everything was fine. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about, um, about the market that you're referring to at the very beginning of, uh, of, you know, the pandemic was the fact that I think a lot of people did the smart thing too. They also decided not to sell. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the people that wanted to sell dropped out, the people that were buying dropped out, everybody kind of put their, their hands underneath them and sat on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did see obviously some averages drop, but that was also because and you and I talk about, you know, averaging on things where we see numbers. And when we take a look at numbers, so if, if more condos are selling, then detach, then the overall average, of course, is going to drop. Mm -hmm. And what we saw during that time, because the market had started to, to run up again, you know, in, in 2020, February, we started seeing a rebound from, of course, the 2017, yeah. you know, adjustment. And so when we take a look at that kind of marketplace, you know, people start saying, oh, yeah, the market's really doing well. And all of a sudden it started getting hot. And then all of a sudden it basically froze. But the amazing thing is there wasn't so many sellers in the marketplace that had to sell so that we didn't see the big downturn. Mm -hmm. You know, you weren't, you weren't involved in the market in, in 1988, but I, I, I lived it. Okay. And what I saw back then was that there was just so much inventory. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And people just had to get rid of it. Like it was just, you, you didn't have a choice, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we take a look at the, and the average number of units coming, coming into the market, you know, right now we're low back in, in 2020, we were low, but in, in times where we had a huge adjustment, we saw major, major, you know, oversupply and that was the real driver. Mm-hmm. But what we what we're seeing right now, and I, you can talk to this is that maybe we are seeing kind of a more of a balance everybody's pulling back but so are the listings definitely i mean i think we're definitely in a recalibration i think i think recalibration has become my new favorite euphemism for whatever is happening you know we're definitely seeing things shift and re and sort of realign um whether or not this summer is a great indicator of what's to come i think a lot of people and i think i wrote about this last week as well where it's you know a lot of people decide to apply some magical thinking to what lies in september like you know assuming we knew, we all pretty much knew that the Bank of Canada was going to be um, bumping the rate again. I think a lot of people still thought, oh, well, summer's quiet. Oh, well, you know, people aren't doing it. Maybe it'll be better. The buyers will be back. So everybody sort of sat back. And now I think we may see some activity in September. I expect we will because all of the people who are hanging back and waiting, life goes on in many cases. Families form, families fall apart. You know, the, real estate is always going to tra- like trades are always going to happen but in terms of you know any real cataclysmic shift like we're just watching what happens when you s- very much spontaneously remove one of the biggest factors which i don't think enough people talked about which is the role that speculation was playing yes you have big investors you have as you as you well know um who are always buying in up markets they're buying in down markets they're really tailored to the numbers and they're making um, informed decisions. They actually have analytics for what they're purchasing. But then when money got free, I think I, I told you once about, I had the Bell guys, these adorable like 23-year-old guys at my house in the middle of um, an ice storm this winter. And the guy found out like, oh, you're in real estate. I think I want to buy a condo. And I said, oh, like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm going to invest in um, Calgary. And I said, oh, like, do you have family in Calgary? He said, no, but it's where you can afford right now. And I said, well, hold on, like, do you understand what it means to be a landlord? Do you understand, you know, that like markets are actually pretty specific and just because what's working here is working here, it doesn't mean it works there. And he's like, oh, hmm, I don't know. But my, my friend knows a guy. And so I think there were a lot of people who just literally just dabbled on in because they could pull money out by a home equity line of credit. Suddenly that makes them 100% financed on something. What could go wrong? They have a bunch of agents who got their license during the pandemic who've never experienced a market like this. I've been at this, you know, over 10 years. I have never experienced a market like this and I've seen a few. Um, So we have, you know, some recency bias going on. So when you're adding a bunch of people who are now like, can't go wrong, then you also have the Airbnb factor. Then you also, (laughs) like the financialization of all of this, I think that that is the factor here that propped it up. Okay, so you know what, we're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, um, I want to continue on this thought because I, I, I like the, the route that you're going. So folks, when I come back, I've got more with Bryn Lackey. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Bryn Lackey, and she is a columnist from the Toronto Sun, and she's also an agent with Chestnut Park Realty. And just before the break, we were discussing, obviously, what's going on with the market. And Bryn, you know, it, it was interesting. I do remember the story you told me about the the, uh, the Bell guy that was looking at Calgary. And it's kind of funny, because I've looked at Calgary to, to buy as a company, and we, we try to buy big developments and certain things. But, you know, one of the 
of the things that people don't recognize, and, and I'm glad you made them aware of it, not two markets are the same. Like they really aren't. And, you know, I get offerings from developers and companies saying, hey, Todd, why don't you buy this building? You know, it's look at the door price. It's, you know, a third of what you'd pay in Toronto. But then you take a look at the rent and, you know, and then you take a look at the, the costs and everything else. And they don't make any more sense than, let's say, Toronto real estate. In fact, some of them are worse. And, you know, that arm's length, you know, your, your, you know, a, a three hour plane ride away makes it a little bit tough. Yeah. And also if your contingency is non-existent, if you are buying this condo and banking that you're going to get a great tenant who pays the rent, who will change their own light bulbs, who will not have any drama with the next door neighbor reporting them to the condo board. Like if you're just banking on sort of Candyland, then it's going to, I mean, that might happen. It can, it's a bit of a unicorn, <laughs> um, but being a landlord is not an, a, a passive thing, or at least being a good landlord, um, especially, and uh, this is the other thing I like to carry on about, I think as long as we have a rental housing shortage, the fact that the landlord tenant board isn't more highly functioning to actually help and protect both landlords and tenants in an, you know, an acute and immediate way, I think that's a huge problem. There are a lot of people now who thought they could just buy an investment property, the tenant would carry it, you know, they would make sure you know, they would you know, shovel the walkway, mow the lawn. And functionally, that's not how it goes. You know, yeah, for every great tenant, let's say there are five great tenants, you might get one who's a, a problem. And when that happens, if you don't have savings or you don't have a way to carry that condo suddenly when your tenant decides they're not paying rent and it's going to be eight months to get a hearing, you know, that's a very real concern. And that is, and so when people are dabbling, like as this, I, and I always use, think of this guy when I talk about this, because he was this like bright eyed little 23 year old dude who he just thought that this was like it, this was going to be his first step towards, you know, Warren Buffett. And I thought, oh my God, just don't get this guy a bad tenant. Like, have you been to Calgary? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, 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 and here's, here's the funny thing. And by the way, folks, I did not ask Bryn to ever say any of that. In fact, we don't rehearse, you know, this is freewheeling. So when we talk about the LTB and, 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 you know, this is obviously in our, our wheelhouse here at the simple investor, we do talk about, you know, there's good tenants and there's good landlords and there's bad tenants and there's bad landlords. Um, you know, that is, that is reality, but the one part that I think is always up for discussion is the amount of rental properties. We talk about rents going up right now. You know, I saw some articles that, you know, you and I normally get fed through the system and, you know, we're looking at some rents on some of the properties that don't have any rent restrictions. So they, you know, they don't have rent control in place. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are, you know, losing their minds saying, look at my landlord's coming after a 12% increase. You know, majority of landlords in Ontario, um, rental increases were frozen during COVID. Mm -hmm. and last year it was 1.2. Next year is 2.5. You know, if we talk about inflation, you know, um, I can tell you costs go up exponentially when we talk about, you know, things like water, electricity, when you talk about condominiums and the, and, and it's the responsibility of the landlord to pay the condo uh, fee. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and just, you know, just for information to all our tenants out there, your landlord is not permitted 
permitted to make you pay their condo fee. Now, they can hide it in your rent, but they can't turn around and say, you need to pay the condo board. You know, that's part of the rules, mm-hmm. right? So, so again, th- these are the kind of scenarios that we're looking at. So right now, when we talk about rent and the reason why we're seeing such an uptick, and I think it's, and, and it's I wanted to get into this with you today because, you know, I, I still want to talk about interest rates, but I think what the government's done is shot themselves in the foot because, you know, by pushing the Bank of Canada, try to control inflation, I get it. But here's our problem. You've taken the buyers out of the market and now you've turned them into tenants. Okay, Mm because now people are saying, you know what, we're going to rent for a year. So all of a sudden now there's more people willing to rent than they were willing to buy right now. And now we're seeing these rents go up. So as soon as a unit becomes vacant, you know, you and I've watched rents go up in the last in the last year, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 percent increase Mm -hmm. in rents when a unit becomes free. And that's staggering. That's going to make it really difficult for a lot of people. It is. And, you know, I've, I actually have a really good benchmark for this because I have a number of investor clients where I handle, you know, finding them new tenants. And I have one where we have found new tenant for the same apartment every summer since before COVID. And, you know, I think I've told you last summer we couldn't even give it away. People were just, they were living their life and whatever. Now, day one, we had people fighting for it. And so I think the reality is as long as people are priced out of purchasing and or they are not priced out, but they are sensibly taking a beat and they want to wait and see what happens. Um, and then you also have development charges and costs going up so that we're not producing more rental housing. I think that this is what's going to happen. We're going to see this log jam. And it, I, it's very hard from the outside to look in and go, mm, I wonder what's going to change because you cannot just wave a magic wand to make housing appear. But you also can't change just the fundamental economics of how we're about how we're navigating this time. So, um, yeah, I think all we can see is the, the sort of collateral effects of some of these decisions. Yeah, and when we take a look at the numbers, so uh, condo rents surge to twenty eight hundred dollars a month in Toronto, and you know now, but now I, I, I got to flip it to the other side though for a second. So, let's say your average condo right now is running somewhere around seven hundred thousand. Okay, mm-hmm. twenty eight hundred dollars a month is not even going to come close to carrying the charges that they've got to pay for, let's say your mortgage. Your, your property taxes, especially in Toronto. And on top of that, your condominium fee. You know, 2800 is not covering it with 20, 25% down. In fact, your negative cash flow comes in at over $1,000 a month. So this is where I think, you know, we may see some of the landlords give up, you know, in the future if this continues. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think we may see some come on the market. Um, and if not, we're going to watch landlords even try to push harder to get closer to cash flow. Well, and that's when it's desperation. So, sorry, I will compose my thought. I think that you have in this moment, there are always bad landlords, right? There are always people who, you know, try to skirt the rules and do the whole thing. Right now, we're also in a moment where there are a lot of people who are in over their head. They, he locked their way into a down payment. They bought this condo thinking it would carry itself. It's not carrying itself. And in fact, after three years of lockdowns, these condo buildings are now finally doing proper assessments for fees. So they're getting... 18% 18% increases in condo fees in some cases. You know, when des- people are desperate, they're going to try to get rid of their tenant and get someone in there who will pay market rent. And that's not right, but this is where we're at. And when these things can't be properly adjudicated, when, um, you know, there is no real recognition that this fundamentally, if it's a survival thing, they're going to sell it. They're going to try to sell it. And then that's going to shift the market dynamics even further. 
Well, especially because if an investor decides to sell a tenant occupied property, you know, the new owner has to give 60 days notice go owner occupied. So now the tenant is out on the street again, mm -hmm. which means that, you know, if we're absorbing tenanted properties back into ownership, then what ends up happening is we're going to have a further rental shortage. Right. And the government has got a some zero answer to this problem. No, we're still talking about what to do about blind bidding. That incidentally is no longer an issue, right? You know, I think we're just a little behind. I think as long as you have people, we essentially made money free and we incentivized a bunch of people who had no business being landlords, do the heavy lifting for the government who had dropped the ball on building rental housing since the 70s. That's how we got around that problem. And now we're here. I don't know what, what we're expecting to happen. It's it's asking sort of us among ourselves to figure it out. And at the end of the day, when you're asking people, you know, if they're going to lose it to the bank or they need to now sell this tenanted property, well, people don't, investors don't love buying tenanted properties. They want to see the financials. The financials have never mattered more than right now. Um, and when that happens and they still need to offload it, they're going to sell it at a loss. People will buy anything for the right price. Yeah. That's just the reality of this, of this city and this market. So if we're also talking about what could impact average sale prices or really impact the condo market, that's what happens. And now you're also seeing people that they'd rather turf out a tenant because they don't want to deal with the nonsense and they'd rather have it on Airbnb. Yeah. Tell you what, we're going to go to a quick break, but Bryn, stay put. We're going to uh, come back with more folks with Bryn Lackey. And, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, don't forget, you can now sign up for our Simple Real Estate Investment Seminar slash webinar. We're going to do two things the same night, and that's coming up on Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m. Go to simpleinvestor.com to register. And when we come back, we've got more, so stay with us. And welcome back. So we're, you know what, we're coming into the home stretch. I've got mm -hmm. Bryn Lackey joining me and you know, Bryn, it's been great having you here in the studio. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's nice to, you know, put a, put a face with the voice, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I've been talking for months now and it's been great having you come on the show and, and today's been wonderful having you here. Um, I do want to talk to you about, you know, major change this week and it was anticipated that was going to happen three quarters of a point by the bank of Canada increase again. My question to you is, did you feel the ripple in the real estate market did, you know your colleagues did people sit there and roll their eyes or have that big you know sigh of you know God. <laughs> exasperation well you know it's interesting because I think no one was surprised I think for a while I think a couple weeks leading up to it there was the debate will it be 50 or will it be 75 basis points and then a couple days before it was like wait could it be 100 you know I think people it was just it was a foregone conclusion it was happening it was just a matter of what and to what extent um, I think the outlook accompanying the decision was sort of more upsetting to people than anything because it indicated that they, the Bank of Canada doesn't think this is it. This is just one of a few they have planned that they're not easing up anytime soon. Um, so I think that obviously people have feelings about that. Personally, I still have clients who as soon as Labor Day happened, and I honestly think that that's the real New Year's, um, I have clients who were said, okay, let's get going. And I thought like, wait, where were you all summer? Well, they were enjoying the summer. You know, I have two listings coming out. I have a number of things going on, which makes very little sense to me given, and granted I live in a bubble of a lot of agents. And we, I read a lot of Twitter and I read a lot of um, depressing articles. And I wonder sometimes how connected people actually are to the news. This is something that I'm still wondering about is have people just disconnected entirely has facebook and the doom and gloom news cycles and 
Donald Trump and all of those things? Have we just learned how to just put our heads down and power through and things only affect us when they affect us? Because it's odd. It's like yesterday happened and there were people who were like, oh, is something going on? You know, so maybe it's not as impactful as I think. I think it's impactful. I think that um, we might see some activity for the next few months just of people who are waiting. And then I think I don't see how you know, that momentum continues. And actually when I was driving here today, I was listening to the Fed came out with their announcement and people are now excited because Jerome Powell seemed to indicate that they are worried about over-tightening. So maybe they'll ease up. So who knows? I mean, it's whiplash. We're just, everybody is trying to formulate opinions. There are hot takes everywhere. And none of us know what will happen because the, let's remember, this is the same Bank of Canada that said, you know, interest rates are low and they're going to stay that way. Like go spend, spend, spend. And now they're saying, just kidding. We don't mind inflicting some pain if it gets inflation under control. So, you know, I, I feel like all bets are off. Yeah, I think that uh, to combat the inflation, I think that they're they're also not taking all factors in. And I know some economists will jump up and down on this. And, you know, the fuel the fuel increase through the spring was a big part that fueled it, obviously. You mm -hmm. know, when we talk about oil and, and gas. And so cost of goods. And we're still having that trickle-down effect of, even though gas has gone down somewhat over the last uh, month, but we still have that trickle down effect because the cost of goods still was up to get it to us. So mm -hmm. they have to remain high. And so, you know, big picture, it's like, where, where does real estate land in this, you know, big, bad, you know, part of the world. And again, going back to what I think the, the bank of Canada, you know, when you talk about the U S fed, you know, yeah, they do have that measuring stick where they want to control it. One of the things that I know that the federal government kept mentioning is, you know, they were trying to figure out a lever to control the real estate market because it was overheated. But, you know, you as a, as a realtor would have recognized, I've had Tim Sirianos on, you mm -hmm. know, former president of, of, of Treb here. Sure. And, and one of the things that his comment was is that, look, the government's got to stay out of it because we could see, we kind of hit that frenzied peak in February and then it was, it started to go down. Like you could tell, like some, some of the froth started to come out. But this is what the this is what the uh, the government's done numerous times, where you know they don't just wait long enough; they decide to hop in it so they can get credit. And we saw that with the Wynn government when she turned around through the foreign buyer tax in mm -hmm. in 2017. No announcement when it was going to happen. Just whammo, here you go, and all of a sudden try to knock the the, the market out. Then the then the Fed comes in and says, I "Tell you what, we're going to put in the um, the stress test in 20." So the, everything they could do to start controlling the market and. I think it's I, I think it's a negative way sometimes to do it. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping that the resilience of the market. I'm not just saying this because you know, obviously, I want my real estate to have value, but I think that the overall perspective of the the average Canadian is a lot, and and probably the biggest asset they have is their home. And I think at this time, I think that yeah, it's okay to tighten it. But let's not let's not you know put a noose around people's necks. I think that you know this might we should control the spending. We you know shouldn't be financing our houses to go buy new cars. But in the end, we still have to encourage people to have ownership. And I don't know you know your your ultimate take on that. I mean, I feel like you're not gonna love all of my take. Um, I think yeah, I think that half of the time the government gets involved and they're putting out the wrong fire. Um, I think that when you look at what has transpired over the last three years, and here's where you're going to hate me, um, <laughs> I would love if government would actually look at what was fueling half of this. And it was this irrational exuberance of made possible by cheap, free money. Mm -hmm. And if you actually, if we can identify, if you talk to any mortgage broker, if you talk to anyone who actually does more than three deals a year, 
they will say that people leverage themselves to the nth degree in order to join in. And I think that if we're really talking about um, how to make the housing market stable and make it um, accessible and then also protect people's property values and, 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 you know, all of the mm -hmm. 47 things we need to keep going at the same time. I think doing something to curb the rampant, ridiculous speculation would not have been a terrible idea. And doing something about people um, doing home, home uh, down payments by a home equity line of credit, that would have been like a really easy one to do a while ago. And there were discussions, there were, there were rumors that they were going to limit buyers' ability to refinance and do essentially 100% financing on, on things. Um, I think if you look at the, the element of speculation in this, and I'm not talking about, you know, big landlords buying commercial properties to actually professional landlords to provide housing in a stable manner that people can move into and live in and they're not worried about having it sold out from into them under them i think that if you're actually looking at, at curbing the nonsense toning it down by how people got the funding to do it would have been helpful and i know that that's not going to make me popular but if you look the half the people we we really relied on the stress test as you know everything will be fine everyone has to stress test well Actually, we're now talking about why is there such a rise in Canadians who have variable rate mortgages? Well, the stress test made it so that for people to qualify to the extent they needed to qualify for in order to be successful, quote unquote, in finding a property, they could qualify for more if they stayed variable. Well, so the people who most needed the protection of the stress test were then nudged into the variable rate mortgages in order to access the funds they needed to buy something. Whether or not that was smart or not, you know, that this is sort of the Monday morning quarterbacking. But, you know, I think when you're looking at, we, we pretended we had this amazing fail safe in place. And yes, to an extent, the stress test is helpful. But I don't think anyone, when they were devising the stress test, imagined that we would have inflation the way we do, energy costs the way we do, um, gas, you know, across the board, life has gotten really, really expensive. And so the stress test, it's one sort of finger of a hand and everything is expensive. So I, you know, I think the fact of the matter is the things that were sort of supposed to help us here didn't necessarily. And I think that a lot of what we're talking about now, it's like th there will be a recovery after this. Eventually they will bring rates down and that exuberance will return. It will. So are we going to talk now about how to prevent this next time? Because we've seen these people need, you know, five to seven years to kick a can around before they implement it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say thanks for coming in today because this has been awesome. And, you know, the one thing I think we both agree, people are addicted to real estate, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and some habits are bad, some habits are good. But more, more importantly, I do want to thank you for, you know, journeying into to the studio today. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for and, having me. It's amazing uh, here. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, so, folks, that's a wrap. You know, it's amazing. And, and, and I got to tell you, I just, you know, having Tim here now, having Bryn here, I have to tell you, having people live in the studio again, as opposed to all the remote stuff, you know, it's really change how the show feels and I gotta tell you I, I love doing it even that much more helping you know try to at least bring some of the information to the market forward to everybody and of course we're gonna try to keep doing that every single week as we do uh, just again quick last reminder coming up on it is Thursday October the 20th at 7 p.m. gonna have our brand new seminar webinar so go to the simpleinvestor.com to sign up I do want to thank uh, you know I've got a bit a little bigger production team of course Ian Grant he's been my producer for many many years he's always there at Mission Control, but I do want to thank Omar and Jeremy. They are actually here in the new uh, Simple Control Room, and uh, they're making it a lot easier. They've been uh, working on things to make sure that we can get this, this show together, so I appreciate everybody working on it. But I do appreciate you.
joining me every single week and making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next Sunday at noon as per usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.